The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Hey, y'all. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. This is Authentically You on Society Bites Radio. This is Dr. Himron, and I'm with my lovely bride, Sherry. And for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about how to use your own resources to start healing inside out. We're basically saying there's hope. Living in a kind of a rough time right now with all the addictions going on and the opioids and with some of the rotten things that we're seeing on in the media, you know, with gymnastics team and everything The whole Larry like Nassar thing. It just brings to head that uh, not only exogenous addictions, but that endogenous or behavioral addictions um, are causing problems, and they're they're getting headlines that are not positive. And, uh, in our last segment, we talked a lot about the exogenous. I think in this one, we want to start out with kind of itemizing endogenous, just to make an awareness out there, right? Right. Um, so many people, and, and you know, I get them in my office daily, like the spouse will drag the other spouse in, and the other spouse will come in thinking, well, I don't know what the problem is. It's definitely him, or it's definitely her. I'm not with any issues. And they have no idea the damage that they're doing in the relationship, not only to themselves personally, but to their children, or grandchildren and, and, and spouse. So I'm going to go over a few number of endogenous ones just to bring clarity to the story so we recognize what they are. And then you know, we'll offer feedback here. So here are the number of endogenous addictions that I have come across over the years. So sex is one. And that's where you bring in the whole Me Too. Um, the sexual harassment is really you know, the ugly cousin of of sex addictions gone awry and a culture that in the past maybe accepted certain behaviors and now that we're really looking at it, the positive of all this bad news coming out is that people are becoming more aware. So sex addiction is a real addiction. Yeah, and the term that you use, accepted, I get what you're saying, that makes sense, but I'm going to just bring clarity to the story. They turned their heads. They buried their heads. This has been going on, you know, I... I only know what I look in the tabloids and you know, newsstand or read in the newspaper. The reality is this has been going on for a very long time. Hollywood is endemic of sex addiction. And then all of a sudden the actresses are start, starting to speak out. Well, where has everybody been for the last 40 years? Exactly. This has been happening a lot. And too often it happens in our families. Next is anger. Anger is ubiquitous. It's the number one comorbid. 
anger is a good one to talk about. How is it that a behavior addiction becomes an addiction? The brain knows no differently when it the body receives an exogenous substance into it. It produces dopamine and other chemicals in the brain that wire it for a memory pathway. And that right. is key to the addiction process. Same is true with these behavioral addictions that we're talking about. Anger actually juices up the brain like a hit. And it's a behavior, but it produces a chemical response that creates a memory pathway. And um, anyways, there's a lot no, of chemicals really... involved in anger. But I, you, everybody's gotten angry before. You get hot under the collar. You can tell there's a physiological response to yourself when you get angry. Well, it can become addicting. And that turns into rage. Okay, and, what my wife just yeah. alluded to, and this is what I want to bring out here, is the brain cannot differentiate between any addiction. An addiction is an addiction is an addiction. So let's say that I'm an alcoholic and I'm not feeling good. I know how to solve that problem. My amygdala will, my my downstairs brain will take action and say, look it, I know how to solve the problem right now. You need to have a drink. And then I go and get a drink. And then I feel better for a temporary amount of time. And then as all the drugs process out of my body, I'm not going to feel good. But they don't process out to equilibrium. They go even lower than equilibrium. And they create a new non-acceptance. And then what do I do? I'm in pain. I have to medicate that pain. I have to just throw in a really quick side here. Um, no, I'm busy. Okay. I know, I know. But this is exactly <laughs> right. When somebody feels emotional pain, mm. um, you know, I know I have a lot of girlfriends will say, oh, yeah, chocolate's my favorite drug, whatever. When we don't feel great about ourselves, we want chocolate. So I had the experience yesterday with a little youngster on the playground, um, seeing him upset because he got out at Foursquare. And he's <laughs> he's holding up the Foursquare game because he's crying and he won't move. And everybody's like, okay, you got two turns, you're out. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he said, you know, what would make me feel better when I feel like this? I need sugar. This was a, a six-year-old. Fascinating. Knew, already knew Whoa. and identified what would make him feel better. And I did notice that he had three licorice in his lunchbox and had that for dessert. And I was kind of wondering, well, maybe it's the coming off the sugar that's making him want more sugar now and is creating this emotional upset. But that is a behavioral addiction. <coughs> and it's, you know, it's in a little youngster. It doesn't take much for us to get there. Okay. No. And sugar is ubiquitous. So yeah. let, me, let me go back to the anger. I just okay. brought up my little research here. Anger is the number one offender in emotional intelligence. It skews your judgment. It alters the brain. It reduces rationality. It decreases likelihood of awareness. It is associated with pride and bullying. And it fragments your brain. And that alteration and fragmentation of the brain chemically happens... Um, in anger, so that you cannot use your prefrontal cortex. The limbic system hijacks the, the, the cortex. Yeah, we, I think we covered this once before, called the, chemi the um, conversation chemicals. Mm. When you become angry, you produce excess amounts of cortisol, testosterone, and norepinephrine. The cortisol, keep in mind, all of those drugs are necessary for functionality. But when they're in balance, or homeostasis, you know, everything looks really good. When you introduce anger into the equation, you get a spike of those three opioids. 
Cortisol will shut down the prefrontal cortex. It will remove creativity. It will compromise your capacity to talk. All of the main, all of the blood and the essential nutrients will come away from your brain into your major muscles because it's the fight or flight response. According to research, we know that our bodies were designed to be in fight or flight about 15 minutes a day. We have people right now in society who are 24 hours a day in stress, in fight or flight. The cortisol effect can absolutely ruin and move you into chronic illness and pain on a permanent basis. Number two, you get testosterone. Testosterone is what you got an abundance of yesterday, along with you know, the um, cortisol. Is one, you were screaming, not talking. Well, this is my experience with the mouse. Oh, right. In I'm my sorry. glove box and open my glove box to find a live mouse joining me on my car ride. So the testosterone was moved you to fight or flight. And quickly, the, the blood curdling scream, which I've now experienced, and it puts me into, you know, Fight or flight. Yeah, I go fight <laughs> or flight. Um, was the same effects. Then the third drug is norepinephrine or norepinephrine. Again, it's good in its, own, in its own right. But in this case, when we're in a triggered mode or a what we call a flooded mode, we start telling ourselves stories that aren't true. And so we start making them up. We and norepinephrine is the chemical that causes you to make up stories right. that are not true. It's the thinking, stinking drug. Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. You're still triggered Think from the, the, the mouse. <laughs> but here's what happens. You know, I know of um, clients of mine who've been told by their therapist just to vent it out. Just tell some, just keep venting, and they'll come back in for their therapy, and they'll vent it out. That's an addiction. Because every time you talk about it, you relive it in that way, but when you get your drugs, you need more drugs to offset because, you know, you've got the immunity built up, or it's what we call tolerance, according to Dr. Sussman. Drugs meaning those brain chemicals. And so what happens is when you vent, and I've said this before, when I was, I'm going to give an example of the male fish story, or male thinking. When I was three, and my grandfather took me fishing, I caught a crawdad. When I'm telling the same story to my granddaughter, when she's three, I caught a great white shark. It grew from the crawdad, to the guppy, to the minnow, to the trout, to the salmon, to the barracuda, etc. And that's how you get, like, little Abigail, who was eight, um, having a meltdown because she's having to be more patient than maybe she wants to be in the moment and the story comes out and my parents will never help me, which right. was not true. Right. Now imagine that at 18, my parents were not there. At age 28, I didn't even have, as a matter of fact, they abused me because the story must grow because tolerance builds up. So let's go back to the couple that's coming in and you know, the spouse that's totally unaware of maybe how their behavioral addictions are, are wreaking havoc on their family. And sex and anger we've talked about, but what other options? <laughs> what else is on the menu, Dr. Hammer? Yeah, so what happens when they come in? And I don't have a checklist sitting in front of me. I just, I'm just observing it. So here's a couple of things that you can do at your own checklist. So we've talked about sex and anger. Gaming, that's a behavioral addiction. Judging, how many people constantly judge as a matter of fact, a lot of the challenges that I deal with day to day is because people are afraid of being judged. Sarcasm, what we call verbal flogging. 
Some people brag about how good they are in sarcasm. Family get-togethers are just sarcasticists going nuts. Well, and humor, um, especially what we see in entertainment today is, uh, you know, often sarcastic. And so even our children are seeing that as a modeling, but sarcasm, even the, the humorous sarcasm comes at the cost of someone. Sarcastic humor and sexual humor are the lowest grades of humor we know. There is no real talent, no creativity. No that. real wit. Yeah, that's just a baseline. So shopping, um, man cave chick hut means we're going into isolation. Mm -hmm. Social media is clearly one. Gaming, as we mentioned earlier. This is probably, this, this one I'm going to mention, is probably the most vicious one I know of. And that is, I have to be right. When you live in a world where you have to be right, you're hiding something. That's pain. And when you have to be right, you're afraid that you'll be found. If you're afraid that you'll be found, and some people just call it pride. But if you're afraid that you'll be found, and by the way, we have these on both genders, but the stereotypical will be the engineer who looks down his nose, stereotypical his nose, at others because he's logical, reasonable, and rational. Sorry, research doesn't support that anymore. There is no logical, reasonable, and rational as a healthy being. Without the offsetting emotions to go along with it, you aren't a human. So the reality is you're in fear. Your emotion is fear because you're afraid of what you call emotions. So you hide behind the pinnacle or the identity of being an engineer or someone who's ultra logical, and then you anal analyze to you it's analysis to paralysis, and then you feel somehow superior to others. That's nothing more than another behavior addiction. You're getting hit. You're getting your own drugs, acting that you're superior to others. And that cannot be healthy in relationships, even though that person's getting juiced up every time they're Put, getting pushed away, pushed back from others. No, you're actually uh, uh, creating more trouble than it's worth right now. And that in itself creates um, a difficulty in getting help because of the, the blindness of having to be right. Oh yeah, there's clearly a blindness there. Unrighteous dominion, um, pornography, which is not always related to sex, but can link it. And in a couple segments, if all goes well, we're going to have a special guest that specializes in this that we'll be talking about. Gambling, rage. Now, here's a couple interesting ones. Always interrupting. Always correcting. Always defending. Have you ever met someone who's the eternal apologist? We're always telling themselves why. Um, picture this, coming in late to a meeting. How many of you have experienced the following? You're in a meeting, you're two or three items down on the agenda, and someone comes in late. What's the first thing out of their mouth? Oh, they have to explain. Oh, on my way up here, I'm so sorry. I, um, I, I, there was a traffic jam, and then I had to stop and help this puppy that was running around on the road and find their home. And you know, yeah, they have to explain themselves. So they're justifying their position. Probably nobody noticed that they were even missing it from the meeting. But Here's my challenge to anyone who tends to fall into that trap. The next time you're late, do everything you can not to say anything except I'm sorry and then blend in and, and make a contribution, right? And then keep score how many people ask you why you're late afterwards. I'm not even sure for me to say I'm sorry in the moment. If they add. The apology is probably more appropriate later. Yeah. So the point being, Nobody cares why you're late. The fact is you just interrupted a meeting. Right. All right. Make it less of an interruption. So controlling. 
criticism, blaming, as mentioned, venting, and the most one of the most tough ones is denial. Yeah. And that's our our engineer type mind. I'm in denial that you know I'm anything could be wrong. Definitely connected to the have to be right addiction. Clear. Yeah. Okay, so what we want to do is talk a little bit about how we got here. So, Sherry, you're going to share a story. I'm going to ask you to share a story, a little bit about a couple we know of. Um, and just use them in generic, in generic terms. What's going on there? So we can kind of bring in the things that we're doing and use it on a, in a real case study. Well, so the reality is when we just give them this very long list of endogenous addiction, nobody's really escapes the slips of behavioral addictions. We've all actually experienced these. That's what we know them well. We've all been in this space, and yet we want to do better for ourselves. What's hard, though, is when you live with an addict that your life feels hijacked because your happiness is dependent on them changing, and that's called codependency. It's this yeah. confusion of responsibility for the person who is um, and has a problem with one of these on the list, so exogenous you, or endogenous. When you say confusion, well, we tell ourselves that our happiness won't be fully happy, all will not be right in the world until so-and-so omits such and such from their life or makes this change or until they're clean with this drug or until they, um, you know, give up pornography or until they do this or that. So basically what you're saying is that, let's say I'm the codependent. I can't be happy until you do what I want you to do. Exactly. And it's become their responsibility to police them, to oh. maybe control them, which so is one of those addictions. Right. Um, and in the sense that they've given up responsibility for their own happiness by yep. putting the responsibility on the other person. That's yeah. why I say it's a confusion of responsibility. And we go back to one thing the byline is that you're 100% responsible your happiness. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, if, if you understand this term, addiction is a disease of choice, and it's almost always an epigenetic transfer, then you recognize that the person that you're codependent on, let's say, uh, let's go back to me again, I'm co codependent on you, you've got a vice, whatever that vice might be, but I can't be happy until you clear yourself of that vice. I've just put myself into bondage. Yeah. And you're really holding the other person hostage, or your attempt is to hold them hostage as well. So here's the story of this couple I wanted to bring up, is that um, the husband was seriously ill. He was terminally ill um, and had some physical disabilities at this point in the progression of his, his disease, but he was capable of doing several things. Um, his wife was a, a health practitioner <clears throat> and a profession, and, um, but because of their circumstance and his long-term illness, she had to work. And so therefore they equipped their home and set up things for him to be able to be as independent as possible, had people check in on him on the day. Um, he was able to walk and stand, somebody had a wheelchair. She would administer his morning medication. She would leave for him his midday medication, which he was fully capable of feeding himself and taking his medication. Um, and then return in the evening to find that he would not take his midday medication and would say, but that's not my job. That's your job. And I cannot do that. 
you need to do that for me. And, and here there was this luring of come into this codependent space of my misery because he really was struggling with the behavioral sides of before his terminal illness really Let's came in. Let's see if we can unzip this for a second. Okay, so let's see. So for him, what's the triggering slash flooding event? That she's going to work leaving me and that I'm ill and everything, you know, needs to be so handled let's, for let's me. Let's afraid of. What is his... I mean, if you want. Yeah, so what is his fear? What is his fear? What's he afraid of at this moment? That he will not be remembered? When he leaves her? Maybe, or that he'll be Yeah, hold on. Um, maybe that he will, you know, things will get worse suddenly, that he can't get a hold of her. Right. So what's he telling himself that's not? Well, he's telling himself that she, would, that he, she wouldn't respond if she, he called with an emergency. You know, it's almost like a I think there's something subtle, more devious here. Not that he's devious. More devious in the addiction. So what would that be? Well, it's a codependent situation. He has to have her serve him in order for him to feel good about what's going on. Right. That's devious. It's painful, isn't it? Just cool. thinking about this guy sitting there. He can he can get up if he had to, push comes to shove, but he won't take his medication until his wife gives it to him. So, I mean, and it wasn't that she wanted to. The family had gone through a lot of tragedy in their family history. They had been hurting emotionally even before his physical, um, right. you know, condition. There's been a lot of trauma on that. And their pain was so great. She was doing all she could to muster to get through every day, needing to be the breadwinner. Um, needing to take care of, you know, all the household issues, you know, having a husband that couldn't help in any regard and not be able to help well, himself. Well, financially. Well, but I mean, like even around the house. But there's an emotional aspect that could have been done, correct? So let's name the behavior. So we've got some deceit going on in his own mind's eye. He's telling himself stories that clearly aren't true. Norepinephrine's telling him something that's no, not it's, true. It's live and well, right? right. What's, let's name that behavior. What's he doing? Remember, he's not, we don't want to identify him as, but what's the behavior that he's manifesting? He's seeking to connect. He's seeking to connect, but how is he doing it? In a maladaptive way. Is he not playing the role of a victim? Oh, absolutely. But he's is totally. he just a victim? Is he not playing the role of a persecutor at the same time? Yes. Um, so he acts helpless for her so that she feels compelled to have to do more. Too often, what we see is I've done everything I can. Yeah. That's hiding. That's a maladaptive thing. You're hiding behind the fact that you're not taking responsibility for things you can't do, that you're saying you can't. In that case, that's clearly one. None of this had to do with outside things. The entire challenge that the family was going through is all endogenous related. Right. And, and it was, you know, heartbreaking to the wife she's frustrated her needs needs were not getting met in any sort of way and and it was really at the last days um in a very drastic way not a happy way for her to see her husband diminish his needs, his needs 
is when it's, when it's outside in, when it's insatiable. It, it never actually validates or gives you the creates because it's always coming you know, from the outside. So until you can internalize and meet your own needs, it is insatiable. You will always be there, constantly. Continuing. And the challenge is he's not sick. Right. That was the challenge. So what we really described was the addictive process of codependency itself. Because neither party could be satiated in the experience. We're, we're pressed on time. Just got going there. So thanks again for listening. We really appreciate that. If we were to summarize today, Sherry, how would we summarize today's discussion? Well, we really defined these endogenous addictions, these behavioral addictions, and we can see how pervasive they can be and how convoluted um, and what they can do in a the problems, the collusionary problems they can create in relationships. Right. So one, we increased our self-awareness and we want to bring those to the table in a healing way. So thanks again for listening. Contact us if you desire at coach at hemmercenter.com. And if you like this, if you're enjoying this, please leave a comment on our spreadsheet. We really enjoy hearing from you. Remember, there's hope. There's hope in the healing process and all resources are within you and the challenges that come your way are perfect. They're exactly what you need at this time to grow and come closer to integration. Perfect is a mistake that gets her done. We'll see you. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day. These never-ending worries falling on my sleeve. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face -face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face -face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.